somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Well, the years start coming and they don't stop coming. Set to the rules and I hit the ground running. Didn't make sense not to live for fun. Your brain gets smart but your head gets dumb. So much to do, so much to see. So what's wrong with taking the back streets? You'll never know if you don't go. You'll never shine if you don't glow. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Welcome to Draft Countdown. My name is Scott Wright from DraftCountdown.com. And I'm Shane P. Howell from DraftTV.com. And this episode is going to be our All-Star Game Roundup. We're going to spend uh, about a quarter of the show talking about the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. We're going to talk, uh, spend about a quarter of the show talking about the East-West Shrine Game. And then we're going to spend the rest of the show talking about the Senior Bowl and, and who impressed and stood out at each of those games. So uh, let's get into it, Shane. Uh, and for NFLPA and for East-West Shrine, we're just going to kind of do it informally. We're just going to kind of take turns bringing up players and topics and, and, and kind of spitballing. And, and, you know, I'll start there. And, and, and let's start with the quarterback, the NFLPA game. And, and much has been made about how poor the senior quarterback class is to the point where the senior bowl couldn't even find six good ones really. So that that was obviously going to have a trickle down effect to the other lesser games as well. And um, not great quarterback play, but for me, the guy who stood out the most clearly was Jameel showers from Texas El Paso. And for those who aren't familiar with him, uh, he started out at Texas A&M uh, and then transferred after he lost that starting job to to none other than Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel, but I thought he clearly looked the best and was the most talented of the quarterbacks in this game. Uh, good size, but they list him at 6'2", 230, uh, good athlete, uh, one of those players that that not necessarily I wouldn't label him a runner, but he can make plays with his feet. Uh, he's got a strong arm. He can make all the throws. Um, I, I thought he was by far the most intriguing of that group of quarterbacks. And I was kind of impressed with him. Uh, I, I could make a case for him being a late-round pick. It's kind of a, a year where all bets are off, and there, there's a, been an average of about 12 quarterbacks drafted. I don't know if we're going to get to 12 this year, but I think he could be in that conversation, 10, 11, 12. I think when you start getting to that 6th, 7th round, if you're looking for a developmental quarterback, I think Showers made a pretty strong case for himself why he should uh, maybe be in that discussion. So I, he was definitely the standout for me at the quarterback position in the NFLPA. And and I think when you look at the, the, the quarterbacks in, in the NFLPA game, as you said, most of these guys aren't getting drafted. I think Showers probably has the most potential. He's putting a good zip on his balls that weren't always complete because he, he didn't have the most separation. He didn't have the best receivers, but uh, I thought he was he played well. He dropped back, good footwork. I mean, the only other guy with maybe some NFL potential was Brandon Bridge because of just size and, and his physical tools. But I thought Showers played – Played a better game as a whole, so I agree with you there. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll move on to, uh, to to one of my guys, uh, and and I think I think both of us were impressed with him in the game. Was uh, Malcolm Agnew, who's a running back out of Southern Illinois, uh, had a, a very good game um, in in the actual NFLPA game. He had eight carries, 53 yards. 
uh, over six yards of carry. And uh, he was a player I watched a little bit of. I mean, Southern Illinois, yeah, it's a small school, but they are on TV from time to time. It's a pretty good program as a whole. This year, not as good. But Agnew is, is kind of a well-rounded player. He's he's on the the, sh- the shorter side. You know, he's under 210 pounds, but uh, he can catch the football. He's he's a willing blocker, and I really like his vision. I thought he is he cuts he has a good one cut ability and um, gets gets through the line pretty well. Good vision to find that hole. I think it showed in the NFLPA game. I thought he was pretty much the toast of these running backs, and um, I, I was I was very impressed with him. I think he's a draftable running back in the late rounds and see what you can get out of him. Well, I'm definitely with you too. I had Malcolm Agnew on my list of guys to talk about as well. Uh, I think he clearly looked the best of that running back group. And even though Terrell Watson from Azusa Pacific, actually, I think he believe he was the MVP of the game and, and, and probably had better numbers um, I, I wasn't overly impressed with Watson. looked really slow to me. I mean, he's going to be running 4.6, maybe even 4.7, I think. So uh, I'm, I'm not quite on the Terrell Watson hype train after that game, but I did like what I saw from Agnew. Uh, um, one of those guys, like you said, Shane, not, not the most impressive physical specimen out there in terms of the size and the speed, but uh, I, I think he's a natural runner. I think he has a good vision. He's a good all-around player. And, and even though he played at Southern Illinois, he was a Division One transfer. He began his college career career at Oregon State so uh so yeah I was very impressed with Malcolm Agnew as well and I think like you said he put himself in that late round conversation and this is a really good crop of running backs this year which I think we're going to probably talk about more when we get into the senior bowl but um this is a really good running back class but I think Agnew is another guy who made a strong case for himself in those late rounds and um and and the only reason he didn't have a better senior season is because he missed some time with an injury, but he was performing extremely well before he got hurt. So uh, he's going to be a really interesting guy in the late rounds. Uh, I'm going to move on to my next guy I wanted to talk about, and that was uh, Jarvis Harrison, offensive guard of Texas A&M. And uh, of all the names on the NFLPA roster, that's the one that stood out to me the most because – Honestly, I thought he should have been in the Senior Bowl, if not the East-West Shrine game. Um, I, I, I thought he was the most talented player they had, all things considered. And uh, and going into the game, I had him as my number three offensive guard. Now, there's a couple of guys who maybe stood out at the Senior Bowl, so he might get bumped down a couple slots. But I still have Jarvis Harrison as a top three, top four, top five round player. And uh, uh Checked in at 6'3 and 7'8", uh, 344 pounds, so he came in at 14 pounds heavier than he was listed at in college, which is a little concerning. You could tell he wasn't necessarily in optimal physical condition, but at the same time, he, even despite being a little out of shape, boy, he he moved extremely well for uh, a guy that size. And, and he was getting down the field, blocking at the second level, out in space, matching up against cornerbacks in the game. I really like Jarvis Harrison. And, and like I said, I, I think if I were going to pick one player, say who's the best prospect in the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl this year, I'd probably point to Jarvis Harrison for my money. And I know he's bigger with that 344, but uh, he he moved pretty well in the game. I thought he had a very good game. Yeah, I, I have him in my top five guards in this draft, too. I don't think there's any reason to move him down, even though he was in the NFLPA game. Uh, I think they got a, a real steal with getting him, played well, I think was dominant in the game itself, and, and helped um, – helped block in the run game especially. So he's he's a player that I like and I was excited to watch. 
And uh, I'll, I'll move to the, the defensive side of the ball for my next one, another bigger school player. Uh, Marcus Rush, defensive end from Michigan State, had a big sack on Cole Stout in the game. And then um, uh, am, I, am I hopping ahead here? Um, let, me, let, me, let me move on to uh, – yeah, to, to to Marcus Rush, who you know I, I think is um, is a good player. He's not flashy. He's not someone that that get, gets to the quarterback consistently at Michigan State. But I, I do think that that Marcus Rush had a solid performance in the game and it looked like he was one of the better players. When you come out of a big school like that and you go to an NFLPA game, you go to an East West Shrine game, you definitely want to look good. And then I felt good about him. Yeah, and Marcus Rush is one of those players who I think is more about effort than talent. Uh, maybe that classic overachiever, if you want to call him that, where if you look at him coming off the bus and you look at the measurables, you think, uh, you know, nothing special there. But then you watch him play, and you're like, okay, now I see it, because uh, he just finds a way to get the job done between the lines. Um, I'm, I'm going to jump back to the other side of the ball for my next guy, and anybody who watched the game heard this guy's, player's name uh, mentioned quite a bit and that's DeAndre Coleman wide receiver out of Sacramento State uh, 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 maybe uh, the player who was under the radar going in and created the most buzz for himself uh, in, in terms of someone who people really weren't talking about now size is going to be a concern they only listed him at 51085 uh, so in in so so that's going to be a little bit of an issue but you know, Shane, the, the NFL and, and especially the NFL draft, it, it's very much a copycat type of league. And uh, and right now, look, look, you look at all these receivers that had such a great rookie season, but one of them, John Brown for the Cardinals. And you just wonder, is everybody going to be looking now for the next John Brown? And and I think there's going to be a few options, a few guys that could fit that label in this draft, but I think DeAndre Coleman made a pretty good case for himself, a, a guy who had a, a really good senior campaign at, at a lower-level competition for Sacramento State, uh, finished with 99 catches for over 1,300 yards, 17 touchdowns, 14 touchdowns the year prior, so um, uh, very productive, uh, good athlete, he's fast, he's a playmaker, it's just the size of the concern, but if you're talking about a number three, number four receiver, I think DeAndre Coleman probably pushed himself maybe into that, at, at the very least, late round draftable conversation and uh you know if he can build off the buzz he began generating at the nflpa game uh i i think he could very well end up getting drafted and i don't know if we would have said that a month ago so i think deandre coleman was one of the big winners of the week i who was i can't say i've watched him yet uh watched sacramento state yet but i was impressed with him in that game and as i said coming in small he's a small player that's that's definitely not uh, not what we think of when we think of those big-time receivers or a lot of small school receivers that get drafted, uh, the, the Brian Quicks of the world that are big, that are tall, but John Brown had success. And even just look at NFL receivers having success right now as a whole. It's not always those those big, strong, fast guys. It's it's the Antonio Browns, the T.Y. Hiltons, um, these smaller receivers that are very fast and can get down the field but have some route-running ability. And, and I, I think that that's what uh, that's what – Carter brings to the table. So I, I'm very intrigued. He's one of the players on my list that I need to go and watch now after watching the NFLPA game. I, I want to see more of this guy, and def I'm definitely interested. I'll, I'll keep going with the defensive side of the ball with another uh, another big school player 
who had a successful game, was one of the better players on defense, and that's Sayer Anderson out of Nebraska, um, who I, 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 he was always around the ball. Like every time uh, you, you heard his side of the defense get a tackle, it was always seemed like it was him. Uh, he came in at, at 5'10", 5'8", 224 pounds, a little bit undersized, definitely an outside backer, kind of a, a tweener, and where do you play him and what's the best position? But I'll tell you, from a, a natural football talent perspective and closing speed and reading where running back's going, I was impressed with how he played in the game. And he had a solid career at Nebraska, Another kind of like Marcus Rush, where it just it wasn't – it didn't wow you. He didn't come away watching one of, their, one of their games and feel like this is a stud. But uh, I never felt like he made a ton of mistakes there. So maybe one of those special teams players that can fly down the field you have as a reserve linebacker, he's someone I'm interested in. Well, and if you need an example of an undersized linebacker of Nebraska that uh, has done all right at the pro level, how about Levante David? And certainly he's not going to be Levante David, but uh, just goes to show some of those questions uh, about the size were, were pr- prominent when uh, Levante David was coming out of college, too. And now he's just one of the best defenders in the league, regardless of position. So, um, you know, the next guy I wanted to bring up was Leon Orr, the defensive tackle out of Florida, another player who maybe talent wise, maybe should have been in the Senior Bowl or the East-West Shrine game uh, because he's a very talented player, and, and that was clear throughout the week in the practices. Now the question with Leon Orr is going to be the intangibles, and those who aren't familiar, um, he had a, a, a situation as a senior. Uh, he, he wasn't happy with his playing time, and uh, he went to a road game. I, can't, I believe it was maybe against Vanderbilt. I can't remember for sure, though, but he went to a road game, found out he wasn't starting, hopped on a bus and went home, which which isn't exactly the way you want to handle your business. And, you know, Shane and I often say that teams are more concerned with, with, with football intangibles than they are necessarily off-the-field intangibles. Uh, you know, they'll forgive a lot of stuff. They'll forgive a guy out getting arrested and doing the wrong things off the field a lot of times as long as he takes care of his business between the lines. And with Leon Orr, that's a question mark. Is he going to quit on you? And, and that's why he was at the NFLPA game, but certainly a very intriguing talent, and all teams are always looking for good defensive linemen. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Leon Orr. I, I think he's a draftable talent. It's just a matter of will a team be willing to take a risk on a player who, I mean, let's face it, he essentially quit on his team. And then that's that's always the question when you have that one big off the field issue. How how much of an issue is it? That's where the interview process plays such a big part. But if if you quit on your team, I mean that's pretty big. We saw Legarrette Blunt get cut from the Pittsburgh Steelers for for doing that in the middle of a game. The NFL teams take that very seriously, and sometimes more than some of the legal transgressions that happen. From a talent perspective, he he absolutely has it. He has the size. He has the athletic ability. He played it at Florida for a reason, but that that's going to be the bigger question for him. And I'll I'll kind of wrap up with uh, with another player, Scott. I know we both were were high on end up moving up to the Senior Bowl was Devin Mahina, tight end from Brigham Young, uh, came in at six five, two hundred and fifty four pounds, uh, a player that I had not really focused in on, and I I didn't think had too much. You watch the NFLPA game, and he's he's big. He's uh, ferocious, came out of Canada, went to BYU, uh, and, you know, he is a a player who, when he gets his hands on you, he keeps it on you. So you have that blocking – 
tight end perspective, which some BYU tight ends, it's not always there. And he has nice soft hands, can catch the ball. He's, he's not uh, necessarily a thrilling athlete, but that, that's something that he can do. So um, he got called up. Uh, I think to to the Senior Bowl and did pretty well there as well. So he's he's a player that helped himself, and that's sometimes playing in the NFL PA game. Sometimes playing in the Shrine game can help you make that move. He had two big catches in the NFL PA game, and and Mahina's a name to remember. Well, and and tight end is one of the weaker positions in this class, uh, not only in terms of the, the top of the position, but but really the depth. So there was opportunity within that position for someone to 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 help themselves and I think Mahina took advantage of the all-star games both NFLPA and then getting called up to the senior bowl and and put himself in that late round conversation um the one more guy I want to talk about who had a good week was Chris Conley the wide receiver from Georgia um a, a player who who quietly had a pretty darn good senior campaign for the Bulldogs uh of course playing against really good competition the SEC didn't catch a ton of balls only 36 catches but he averaged over 18 yards a catch and one out of every four of his catches went for a touchdown eight touchdowns on 36 catches and and from what I'm told throughout the week he had a a really good week of practices and and uh it's going to be a pretty intriguing late round wide receiver uh, and, and lastly, before we move on, Shane, I think we should hit maybe just really quickly on uh, a couple of the other quarterbacks that were there that people might be wondering about. Brandon Bridge from South Alabama, who I know has a lot of fans within the draftnik community, and then Jerry Lovelock from Prairie View A&M. And, and similar types of players, they have similar builds. Uh, they're both about 6'5". Uh, Bridge is heavier. Bridge is 235 pounds. His frame is filled out a little bit more. I think he's a little bit better of an athlete. So, um, it, But... I I I I like Bridge the better of the two, but I I mean I I think he's years away, Shane. I mean he is the definition of a developmental quarterback. But what's going to work in his favor is beyond the top two of Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. There's very few quarterbacks that you look at in this class that you can look at and say, well, you know what? Maybe if everything goes right, I could see him being a starting quarterback in the NFL. And and Brandon Bridge is a project, and the odds are probably going to be stacked against him. But I think he has the physical tools and the talent that give you some optimism. So just a a, a classic, I think, developmental quarterback. You pull the trigger on sixth, seventh round, and you know maybe a few a few years from now you'll have something. But um, from watching him during the season, then the All-Star games, I, to me it was pretty clear that Bridge, he's not the type of player you want starting for you as a rookie. He's a, a long-term project. Well, bo- both these guys are intriguing. I also found it kind of interesting when you talk about their, their heights and weights because that's obviously a big part of their game. And then if I'm, I'm looking at these uh, these weigh-in sessions, right, Bridge came in about about 10 pounds under at 6'4", 226 pounds, and Lovelock came in a, a ton bigger. He is 6'4", 245 pounds. Uh, so that, that's, I mean, that's what you're looking for when you, when you draft these guys. And Bridge has definitely showcased the, the ability uh, to throw the deep ball. So when you have a big, big guy, strong arm, who can move around a little bit and throw the deep ball, then that can kind of, I don't want to say sucker you in, but th- that can make you think, we can use those tools. Now he was heavily inconsistent and had injuries and, and everything else uh, struggled with accuracy, but um, he, he is one of those late rounder. If he doesn't get drafted, I mean, he's with the guy you want to pick up and you want to put on your practice squad and see if you can develop those physical tools and see if he can rise up in the process. All right, let's move on to the East West shrine game. Uh, and, 
for, for anybody who watched the game, the, the, the first thing that comes to my mind from the East-West Shrine game this year after watching the game was the two defensive ends. Zadarius Smith from Kentucky and Anthony Ciccolo from Miami. And and I guess as a byproduct, the offensive tackles that they absolutely used and abused. Uh, one of the more dominating performances by a couple of defensive ends that I can remember, Shane. Uh, and, and it got to the point where you I was starting to feel bad for the guys trying to block them. And it was Mickey Baucus from Arizona and Cameron Clemens from Western Kentucky. And uh, and both of those guys just had their hands full, and which is a little surprising because especially Baucus at one time, he was being talked about as maybe a, a mid-round pick. So a pretty good player, had a good senior year, but you couldn't tell it by watching the East-West Shrine game because Darius Smith was absolutely having his way with Baucus. And meanwhile, on the other side, uh, Clemens uh, couldn't uh, couldn't handle Chicolo, and and I, I've been a fan of Zadarius Smith for a while. I wasn't necessarily surprised to to see him have a good game, but Chicolo was interesting, simply because the scheme he played in college didn't really get to pin his ears back and get upfield and, and rush the passer as much as probably he would have liked. There was a lot of two-gap responsibilities, but he kind of got turned loose at the East-West Shrine game and, and showed the type of impact he could have. And, and uh, I think Chicolo, especially from just the actual game portion of the East-West Shrine this year, I think Chicolo is probably the, the standout. Even though Zadarius Smith was, was had every bit as much of an impact, I think Chicolo was a little bit more of a surprise and, and probably helped himself the most. I, and I, I like Chicolo, but he, he has had that inconsistent effort sometimes in Miami, and I think a lot of it is, as you said, he doesn't always get to pin his ears back and rush the passer, and I think there are a lot of guys, that's what they want to do. And so when, when you're asked not to do that for long stretches of time, you can start to lack that focus and lack that consistency, and it's a very fine line. But in this game, when he, when he was allowed to do it, uh, he sure did it, and he got he got to the passer a ton. Um, I think there are a lot of a lot of defensive ends in this game that had a lot of success, and Chicolo has has big athletic tolls. Uh, he definitely has big athletic tolls. Uh, over 270 pounds too. He's a he's a big, strong, athletic player that you can, I think you can use in a lot of different ways. So I was definitely impressed. Uh, who who you want to talk about? Who you got somebody off? Oh top yeah, of your head? sorry, I, I was uh, <laughs> I was so into it. I didn't, I didn't even mention uh, my next person. Uh, you know, I, I I really like receivers, so I have a couple guys I want to talk about. I think one of the most intriguing uh, for for good or for bad was uh, Devin Gardner, the the quarterback in Michigan, made the switch to wide receiver, and um, I I really want to see how he would do because he's you know we saw Denard Robinson play wide receiver at the Senior Bowl. A couple years ago and now he's made that move to running back in the NFL so I want to see what Devin Gardner could do he had two catches in the game uh, 6'4 217 pounds and I thought he looked decent. Like, yeah, I think he, he doesn't, doesn't have quite the athletic tools, the quickness that Denard Robinson had, but a bigger player. Um, and so I think he was an athletic mismatch when playing wide receiver becomes very intriguing. Now, I'm not saying he's, he's definitely a, a draftable player at the wide receiver position, and maybe um, there are other guys I could talk about that probably get drafted, but this is this is a big bigger name from a bigger school that's making a position switch. So I'm sure we'll be talking about another one we talk about the senior bowl and Gardner, I thought played well. I think he's an intriguing developmental wide receiver and a player that has that size and has that quickness maybe to do it. 
Yeah, and that's one of the fun aspects of the All-Star Games is we see some of these players start to make these position changes, whether it be a college quarterback going to wide receiver or maybe defensive back. Sometimes you have uh, tackles playing at guard or center, etc. And, and Gardner is probably the, the, the most high-profile position change in terms of his college pedigree. Everybody knows who he is, and it, it's clear he wasn't going to be a quarterback at the next level. Uh, and, and I think he, he took to the new position pretty well. And it wasn't completely new to him. He did play a little bit of wide receiver in college, so it wasn't as much of a projection as it might be uh, some other players. But, yeah, I think he had a solid day. And, you know, I'll kind of stick on the, the, that, that same big wide receiver uh, line chain and, and talk about Darren Waller from Georgia Tech. Uh, a player who had a who kind of was opening some eyes during the week of practices and 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 kind of I don't want to say put himself on the radar but but definitely solidified himself as more of a late round possibility and six foot five two hundred and forty one pounds so outstanding size to the point where there's even talk maybe he bulks up and becomes a tight end or more of an h back so that's a little bit of a question mark and we have to see how he's going to run and some issues with drops as well but uh, pretty. Pretty productive, relatively. Uh, of course, in that option offense there at Georgia Tech, you don't always get a, a ton of opportunities. But for his career, he averaged over 19 yards a catch, uh, scored uh, nine touchdowns, uh, six on 26 catches as a senior. So I think Darren Waller is another player who put himself in that late-round conversation among the wide receivers. And uh, I still think there's some question marks there as to what his ultimate position is going to be. But I think Darren Waller uh, created some buzz for himself. I think he did create some buzz for himself. I think he, he was very solid going up and getting the ball. And I think this shows just how good uh, this receiver class still is. Uh, we've said it a couple times on the show. Not as good as last year, but still pretty good because there are definitely some intriguing names. The Shrine game, um, Trey McBride from William & Mary had a good week. And then and two names that I think were a little more higher profile thinking they're going to be top receivers in the past, Kasim Williams from Washington and, and Austin Hill from Arizona. You know, all, all of these guys played pretty well in the NFLPA game. I think have a shot at uh, being late rounders with upside. Waller, you talk about the size. If you find a position to fix the hand issues, that's definitely a mismatch. I mean, Trey McBride was was getting separation at a consistent level, in my opinion, in, in the game and had pretty good practice reports coming out of of that at the, almost 6'1", 205 pounds. And, and then I think Williams and Hill are two players that we've seen some of their natural talent two years ago. Is that something you can kind of harness and get back? So just this receiver group as a whole and this whole draft, it's another pretty good one. And I think in the late rounds, there are going to be plenty of upside swing for the fence type of receivers and all different packages that you're going to be able to take. The next guy I want to talk about, I got to go to the offensive line and talk about John Miller, the offensive guard out of Louisville, uh, who maybe coming out of the East West Shrine game is the favorite to be the first guy from that roster off the board, uh, certainly on the short list. Uh, uh, John Miller had a really good week to the point, I, I mean, I already had him as one of my top five offensive guards going into the All-Star game process, but coming out, maybe he's three, maybe he's four. Uh, he, he probably helped himself and improved an already uh, strong grade. And, 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 and strong is a good word because he's a mauler. Um, he, he, he's, he's a pretty good athlete, but, but the, the strength of his game is, is he's stout and he gets a push in the run game. And, uh, and he's, if you're looking for a, a, a big 
pile mover this year. There's going to be a lot of options. Of course, A.J. Can at South Carolina, uh, Lakin Tomlinson from Duke, who I'm a big fan of, who we're going to be talking about in the Senior Bowl portion. But John Miller's right in that group as well. And then they were talking about did he move himself into day two, the second or third round? Uh, that's a strong possibility now for John Miller. So uh, definitely had a standout week and made some money. I'm going to go the other way and talk about a player that I wasn't impressed with that I was hoping to be impressed with, and that was Jake Ryan, the linebacker out of Michigan. Uh, I had him rated pretty highly. I thought he had a, a solid career, consistent career, a uh, longtime starter for the Wolverines, was solid in the middle. But watching him in the game and then hearing about him in practice, just just that lack of a sideline to sideline mobility and and the the, the, the tight hips. The, the, I don't think I know if he's a guy that can read and react. Um, and he's not a player that you're expecting to go on the edge and make plays and drop into coverage. But uh, you have to be able to explode to the offensive line. I thought he was late in the game making tackles and getting to the line, giving up extra yards. Um, and I thought he would be one of the better players as a whole in this game so I think all-star games all almost almost always help players um there, there's very few that I would say it hurts but he was someone that I came away a little bit disappointed in and thinking that he might show a little bit more and what he can do and how he just plays on the field even with the bad practice sports the game he's going to shine and it was kind of the opposite for me yeah, uh, by all reports, really struggled uh, it, with coverage responsibilities, which wasn't necessarily a huge shocker, but it, it's concerning. And, and you just wonder if Jake Ryan is going to fall into that category of a, a very good college football player, but maybe limited pro potential due to those lack of ideal physical tools. And But it, still, at the same time, like I say, we can't read too much into a handful of practices or one week because he's had a very good college career. He's been productive at outside linebacker and middle linebacker so you know, you don't want to go too overboard but I, I think especially in today's day and age where the passing game is becoming more and more prevalent it, it's tougher to make cases for linebackers who are going to be a, a, a complete liability in that aspect of the game so uh, definitely something to keep in mind as, as we're kind of following Jake Ryan throughout this process um, you talked earlier Shane about we talked earlier about Devin Gardner a guy making that position change well there's another one who was maybe a little bit ahead of him because he played his new position as a senior, but Blake Bell, tight end from Oklahoma. Uh, the Belldozer, for those who are familiar with him, started out as a, as a quarterback, and uh, his first few years was used in situational goal line packages where he has his, his big frame, he's, his 260-pound frame, and he punched the ball over the goal line, uh, but, but made that switch to tight end as a senior and, and showed promise and, and continued his development at that position at the East-West Shrine. And, Boy, I mean, once again, this this isn't a great crop of tight ends. And once you get into day three, Blake Bell is probably going to be a pretty intriguing option at 6'6", 260 pounds, pretty good athlete, and a guy whose best football is probably still ahead of him considering how new he is to that position. So I think Blake Bell probably gave teams, uh, showed teams what they needed to see from him to to feel comfortable investing a, a, a day three pick on his upside. So uh, I think Blake Bell probably had a, a good week uh, as well. Um, should we talk about quarterbacks, Shane? Uh, yeah. The group of quarterbacks there, Anthony Boone from Duke, Taylor Heineke from Old Dominion, Hudson Mason from Georgia uh, for one team, and then on the other side of the field, it was Cody Fajardo from Nevada, Taylor Kelly from Arizona State, and Dylan Thompson from South Carolina. So, 
Um, not a great group overall. I, I suppose going into the game, Fajardo was probably the highest rated of the of that group, but all of them are, are more late round possibilities than anything. Uh, and I, I guess my, my two takeaways from the quarterbacks: one, the guy I was most impressed with. If gun to my head, you're gonna have to take one of these guys. I'd probably take Anthony Boone from Duke, even though he's only right around that six foot tall mark. Uh, I, I, I think you look at him and say, okay, I could maybe see a backup quarterback there. He's got that Dave Cutcliffe pedigree after playing for him at Duke. So I would probably take Boone. Uh, uh, and the guy I was disappointed in was Taylor Heineke, um, who mm-hmm. I did not think looked very good in the game. I heard he struggled a little bit throughout the week. And now, I mean, you talk about production. This guy put up video game numbers and was very productive against a lower level of competition. But I was not impressed, Shane. Uh, and going in, I thought he had a chance to maybe, uh, you know, separate himself from the pack, but uh, didn't do it. And it, it, I'd probably lean more to going into it. I kind of thought, well, yeah, maybe he's he's probably. I was leaning towards, yeah, sixth, seventh round pick. Now, so I'm probably leaning a little more towards pre- priority free agent with Heineke. I, he was the guy I was excited to watch, too, because I think you watch Ultimating Games and he's putting up those numbers. It seems pretty easy, not reading the defense. And he he it's not just that he didn't produce good numbers in the game, but he did not look like he was comfortable in the pocket or comfortable trying to read defenses or moving his eyes. It didn't seem like he was comfortable on anything, and that that is very disappointing to to me because I I thought this this could be the player. He's he's one of even though he's a little bit on the shorter side, he's not quite at six feet tall um, if uh, like Anthony Boone Boone was. So uh, yeah, I, I was a little bit disappointed. Other than that. I don't know if there's anyone else that gets drafted. Maybe Boone late. I I, I kind of wanted to see a little bit more from Taylor Kelly. Maybe he's a player that has the physical tools to make it. Um, so, yeah, I, I was not impressed by this quarterback group, and I think that's a common theme in all these all-star games, not just this year, but the past couple of years. It's been tough going to really get uh, get a good good quarterback group. I'll, I'll kind of wrap up my list here with going to the running back side. Um, pro- probably the guy I was most impressed with in the running backs was uh, Terrence McGee from LSU, and he's he's a, a bigger but shorter running back. LSU produced some some pretty solid running backs now for the past couple of years. Obviously, Jeremy Hill had the big rookie year for the Cincinnati Bengals, but um, they have a couple guys in this draft and seem to continue to have uh, a ton of productive running backs. And he always seems to just, just fall 40 at 11 carries in the game. Didn't get a huge yards per, per carry, but his his um, offensive line was not doing him any favors in helping out. Um, so he, he was a player that uh, that I liked and maybe it's a late round possibility, kind of a third running back and see if you can develop him some. Well, I'm glad you mentioned McGee because I was going to, if you didn't, I was going to. And, and I think he's going to be a really interesting late round running back. And, and he's the type of player who might end up being a better pro than college player if he goes into the right situation. And, and when it comes to running back, situation is as big of a part of the equation as talent a lot of times. But it just in that LSU backfield, there's just so much talent there. He just kind of got lost in the shuffle. Last year he had Jeremy Hill to contend with, uh, not to mention his teammate Kenny Hilliard. This year it was Leonard Fournette who came in and had a, just a, a freakish freshman. Uh, and so – Terrence McGee really never got the opportunity to show what he can do, and, and he's another. He's he's similar to to Malcolm Agnew, who we talked about earlier. Where, yeah, he's not the biggest, he's not the fastest, but 
he does all the little things. He's got the vision. He's got the natural instincts. Uh, he, he's more quick than fast, I think. So I really like Terrence McGee, and uh, I think he's a really underrated prospect. And if I were looking for, for a running back in those late rounds, he'd be on my list. Uh, a, a, a couple more guys I just wanted to briefly mention. A couple defensive tackles. Tyler Davison from Fresno State. I like this guy, Shane. He's he's not flashy. He's not the sexiest type of player. It's not like he's going to be blowing up and making tons of impact plays in the backfield, but he's just a good all-around player, and uh, I think he helped himself. Another defensive tackle, Xavier Williams out of Northern Iowa, uh, very productive. Uh, the past couple years, he had uh, 26 tackles for a loss and 13 and a half sacks, albeit against a lower level of competition. But I think he proved that he could play with the big boys, and I think he put himself in that mid-round conversation. I think rounds four to five, I think Xavier Williams is going to start getting talked about now. Uh, and then how about Bobby McCain from Memphis? And Memphis actually had a few players who performed well, uh, Martin Afidi, the defensive end, and also Fritz Etienne, the safety. But Bobby McCain, not real big, uh, probably is going to be more of a nickel or dime corner, but a lot of positive reviews throughout the week, so I think Bobby McCain's another player who helped themselves, but as you said, Shane, so many players helped themselves at these All-Star games. We could spend an hour on each of these these All-Star games and still not cover everything, and um, so uh, with that in mind, we're going to move on to the Senior Bowl and, and finish out there, and we're just going to kind of go position by position with the Senior Bowl, and uh, let's start at quarterback, Shane, and, and the, the Big news right starting off was Nick Marshall from Auburn. When he was announced that he got invited as a quarterback, everybody was like, what? And, and sure enough, the very first day, he decided to make that move to cornerback. So they had to call in another quarterback, which was Brian Bennett from southeastern Louisiana, to come take his place really early in the week. I'm sure they probably would have preferred a little more heads up from Marshall. But uh, I think that was the right move for him. I think he has much more pro potential in the defensive secondary and, and I don't think he had much of a future at the quarterback position so smart move by him to start off the week and, and we can maybe talk a little bit about him when we get to the defensive backs uh, but but I mean he came in at six one and a half 205, one, 205 pounds uh, pretty long arms so he's an intriguing developmental cornerback prospect and in, in, in another case kind of like Devin Gardner where it wasn't completely new to him he had played a little bit of defensive back at Georgia before he transferred to Auburn. So um, he's going to be a project, but but it's not like he's starting completely from scratch. Uh, right, and we'll talk about the, the, his, his skills and how he looked when we get to the, the corners. But Nick Marshall, I think it's a good decision. And this is, this is an athletic player who's too small to play the quarterback position. So make that move, and I think it's a perfect chance to showcase it. Go back to that because we all know we all, we all know all know him from the national championship being the quarterback. So sometimes it's time to make that shift, but it's a good move. And and the yeah, scrambling the senior bowl to make that quarterback change is not always an easy thing. Well, and then the rest of the quarterback class, I I mean, I think it was kind of what we expected, which was not necessarily all good things. Um, Shane Carden from East Carolina, uh, Blake Sims from Alabama, Bryce Petty from Baylor, Sean Mannion from Oregon State, Garrett Grace from Colorado State, and then later uh, Brian Bennett from Southeast Louisiana. Uh, I, I think it was a mixed bag. Uh, I, I don't know that my my rankings are going to change dramatically based on what happened at the Senior Bowl week. Uh, going in, I didn't have a senior quarterback as even a, a, a day two pick, and I don't think I have a senior quarterback that I'd 
say is definitely a second or third round pick coming out. Uh, I, I think Bryce Petty and Garrett Grayson showed flashes at times. I think Carden struggled a little bit more than I thought he would. I think Mannion could probably throw in Grayson and Petty as guys who showed flashes. I thought Sims kind of struggled. I, I'm not sold on Sims. I know some like him. I'm not a huge fan. And and I think Bennett maybe, of, of, of the entire group, in terms of helping himself, Bennett maybe helped himself the most. He flashed some tools, but still is going to be more of in that late-round conversation. So uh, it's not like last year where we saw Derek Carr had a, a great week and really separated from the pack. Um, I, I don't know that we saw that from anybody this year. I, I still think it's going to be Petty and Grayson kind of battling to be that, that first senior signal caller off the board. But at this point, I, at best, I think it's probably late in the top 100 and, and maybe even they last till early day three. So, um, and, and it brings up the, the point again, Brett Hundley from UCLA, he turned down the invitation. I think it was a big mistake. He would have stood out. So much talent-wise, he would have been so much better. I really think Brett Hundley right now, I don't think he's a first-round pick. I think if he had gone down to the Senior Bowl and impressed like he has the talent and he's capable of, I think he could have put himself in the top 15 overall conversation. As it stands now, he passed that opportunity, and I think that's going to be a mistake along the lines of whichever example you want to use. You want to talk about Geno Smith. You want to talk about A.J. McCarron. You want to go back to, to, to Brady Quinn. You want to – I mean – there, there's a long list of court Brian Brom even uh, there's a long list of quarterbacks who made bad decisions to not participate and I think Brett Hundley could be in for a rude awakening on draft day because I don't think his stock is nearly as high as as uh, as maybe his, he and his camp do right uh, that that's a rumor that his his I don't know group or camp say he's telling him he's going to be a top ten pick and to skip the senior bowl. I mean, come on! Like I, I don't, I don't know how you can you can actually believe that and feel like you can't help yourself. Even if he, even even if Brett Hummel had come and not been great, but he would have looked so much better than everyone else there that you would have said, oh wow, he's clearly the number three quarterback. And then if he did, he played real well. Then you're talking about a first-round pick, so that I think he he lost some money there, and and I still think I, I think Scott, you're even being a little too generous with the quarterback um, at the Senior Bowl. Like I don't think there's a top 100 senior quarterback. I, I don't. I, I don't think. I, I thought Bryce Petty um, had had some moments, and then I mean in the game he just looked lost and how to read a defense. I, I, you can't invest in that, and and Mannion. Flash the flash that big arm and flash the couple things and then he just throws these inaccurate balls. Um, I, I was I was really disappointed uh, with Shane Carden the most too because I I liked him and I, I thought he would be maybe a solid backup in the NFL. He came in under six two, and I, I liked some of the throws that he made, kind of a gunslinger type. But it was not pretty and very inconsistent, especially from a footwork perspective. So I, I was not impressed with any of these quarterbacks, uh, Blake Sims and Garrett Grayson included. Though I, I, do, I think Grayson is probably the best of the group. So I, I don't think any make the top 100. I really don't. And we might end up with only three quarterbacks that make it in the top 100 at this point. Well, and we've kind of been saying all along, if you need a quarterback, you better get Winston or Mariota, and, and I don't think that's changed. I think if you if you're a team in need of a quarterback this year, you're going to be kind of scrambling. Uh, this is one of the the worst quarterback classes after that top two that that we've seen probably in a very long time. And and Hundley has 
even though Hundley skipped this opportunity, I, I still would say he's the heavy favorite to be the third quarterback off the board just because there's so much more talent and upside there than everybody else. Uh, I mean, it's I, I made the, the comparison of, uh, yeah, if you're dying of thirst, a thimble of water looks pretty good out in the middle of the desert. And Brett Hundley's kind of that thimble of water. Uh, so I, I think he could very well end up getting maybe even pushed up further than, than, than we're speculating just because of the, the dearth of other options at the position this year. But uh, let's move on to running backs and fullbacks because there's a lot to talk about there. And this is a really good, good group of running backs, Shane. Maybe one of the better groups of, of running backs, and, and I'll just say skill position total because I'll throw wide receivers into that mix as well. One of the best groups of, of senior running backs and wide receivers that we've seen in, in probably quite a while. And, and not only at the running back position are we getting all of these great underclassmen. I think we had double-digit underclassmen declare once again, which which bolstered the crop. But I mean, there were some really good seniors, too. I mean, and, and you start with Amir Abdullah from Nebraska, who, yeah, he's not real big. He came in. We finally got numbers on him. He's 5'8 and a quarter, but 198 pounds, so pretty thick. Uh, just doesn't have really big hands, uh, so that's the concern. But uh, Amir Abdullah, I mean, anybody who watched the game, this guy just continues to produce. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he lands in the pecking order of this running back crop. And uh, I think we saw last year it was just kind of – there wasn't really a consensus. It was what each individual team was looking for in terms of the type of player and skill set. And Amir Abdul, I think he's going to come off the board somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised if he went at the very top of the second round. I wouldn't be surprised if he slid into the third round. But somewhere in that range, I think he, he solidified his, uh, his grade as one of the top handful of running backs in this class. It's just a matter of will a team feel that he can be an every down guy at the next level, or is he going to be a situational player? I, I'm with you. I don't know if he's an every-down player, but you got to take him in the top 100 because he's so explosive and he's so quick. He won the MVP of the game for the Senior Bowl, and you saw why he broke off a 25-yard run. When he has a hole, he's going to get through it quickly and get to that second level, and you better be ready to catch him or he's going to keep going. I have Amir Abdullah has never been my favorite running back in this class because I always like those guys that could be three-down players, um, so, so I, I probably uh, undersell him a little bit. But he's going he's gonna to get you – um, yards after the catch, he's going to get you. If you have a hole, he's going to make things, he's going to make it happen and break a tackle here, make a guy miss. That's you know that's what you're asking for. So I, I was impressed with him. I think if he gets in the right system, um, you could use him in, in tandem with someone or as a lead back with someone else to maybe get that short yard stuff and block. Um, and I, I think it could be very effective. So I, I think top 100 definitely and top 50 not out of the question. Well, and, and the guy who actually, you mentioned Amir Abdul, was named MVP of the game, but the guy who was actually named the top performing running back during the week of practices was David Johnson out of northern Iowa, who had a, a really strong week. Uh, now, I, I'm in general not a huge fan of big running backs, and he came in at six foot and three quarters, 224 pounds, and, and by big, I mean he's a little high cut. Uh, he's so tall. I mean, he's he he almost looks like an Adrian Peterson type the way he's built and there are exceptions there's guys like that that are uh, have have had had productive careers in the league and but i was a little skeptical but i think david johnson kind of came in and and really made a strong case for himself and it's just a matter of the positional value. Now, I don't know how high he pushed himself up the draft board just because there's so many good running backs, and that's not a position the teams are necessarily willing to invest in, in like maybe the top three rounds. But 
I think at the very worst, David Johnson solidified himself as a mid-round pick. I think if he doesn't go on the second day, I think he'll go very early on day three and, and definitely one of the, 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 the top small school prospects in this class. Absolutely. But I, I'm with you, and it's tough to kind of move him up. Uh, after hearing about him in the week of practices, he won that award that's that's based off of uh, NFL scouts, a uh, group of them voting for that practice award, so probably even more important than the MVP of the game to get that. And then you see him in the game, and he's he has a, a dominant touchdown run where he uses power, and then he uses nimble feet to stay on the sideline and score a touchdown really good. So I go to my running back rankings, like, oh, maybe i got to move this guy up, but I, I don't know how I can. Like, uh, you know, there's just this group of running backs that are kind of stuck together, and I think David Johnson's very good, has that ability to be a three-down player um, to catch the football, and uh, but he is, he is high cut. I think he could lead himself to some injuries, and a lot of the reports said he was the best pass-protecting running back of the week, too. So when you have those three elements, it's very impressive but I still think there is that, that jump. He played well in Northern Iowa, but still that jump. So I like him, but I think he's still probably a third-day prospect and, and a guy that you, you're going to be able to get in that fourth or fifth round. Well, another running back who stood out was David Cobb from Minnesota, a guy who had a terrific senior campaign, really improved his stock. And he's what I call, Shane, a meat-and-potatoes runner. There, there's no real flash with – David Cobb. Uh, There's not one trait. He doesn't have explosive speed. Uh, He doesn't have incredible maybe quickness, but uh, another one of these guys who does all the little things. He's got the vision. He's got the instincts uh, and and, and does everything pretty well, but nothing great. And I kind of compare him maybe to uh, Terrence West um, as as someone as someone who uh, who who might not ever be an elite running back in the NFL, but I think you feel very comfortable that at the absolute least he's going to be a, a solid backup. And and in the right situation, you never know. Uh, and so David Cobb, I mean, going in, David Cobb was was already considered one of one of, if not one of the top senior running backs in this class especially after Amir Abdullah, but uh, I think he, did did he do enough? Maybe he even passed a guy like Jeremy Langford from Michigan State. Maybe he bumped himself up ahead of David Johnson from Northern Iowa. I think Cobb definitely helped himself, and uh, and, and once again, we're just not sure where these guys are going to go because of the positional value there, and I would still lean toward Cobb maybe being more of an early day three type, but but still, uh, I mean, that's an improvement from where he was. I mean, before his senior season, I think he was firmly an undrafted free agent. Now we're talking about him maybe in round four. And and he's a player compared to David Johnson who's not high cut. He's built low to the ground. He gets that good leverage. Uh, very tough runner, straightforward. And, man, I mean, he, he can bang between the tackles. So he's impressive. Always picks up that extra yardage and seems to never go down at first contact. One of the best after contact or first contact. So I've been impressed with him all season and kind of steadily rose him up. And now the senior boy's doing well. Uh, it shows you the wealth of running backs that we have. Well, one more guy I wanted to talk about at the at the running back, fullback position quickly is Tyler Varga from Yale, who, who going in, I already had him as my number two ranked fullback for the 2015 NFL draft. And, uh, and, and 
he did nothing to change my opinion of him. In fact, he only made me like him more. Now, uh, he was basically a running back in college, and, and for Yale, he ran for uh, over 1,400 yards and 22 touchdowns as a senior, so had a, a really good senior campaign, but uh, he's kind of that tweener. You don't know where he's going to play, but by all accounts was the the standout of the weigh-in, just a sculpted physique at 5'10 and a quarter, 227 pounds, and the the thing that jumped out at me watching the practices, Shane, is a little bit more burst than I anticipated. Uh, a guy who could who might be able to play a little running back in the NFL. I don't know that I'm I'm ready to necessarily say for sure he's he's absolutely a fullback, but and and at the very least he's the type of fullback teams are looking for these days. They want a guy who can. They're not looking for Lorenzo Neal, who's just a lead blocker, and that's all he does necessarily. They want a guy who can who can block. Certainly, that's going to be the most important part of the job, most likely. But they also want someone who can get the job done as a runner, as a pass catcher. And I think Varga showed that. So uh, I, I was really impressed with Varga. He was a guy who kind of flashed for me. And I, I, I'm going to say right now, I think Tyler Varga is going to get drafted. I, I think he'll get drafted away too. He was he was very impressive, and he has showed a little bit even on the outside that he made some cuts when he got to that second level to the outside and, and ran really well. Um, I I didn't think I would be impressed with him. I didn't think he was a player. He wasn't a player I was exactly looking forward to. I had on my list to watch in the Senior Bowl, but you, you couldn't take your eyes off him. They're handing him the ball. He was making uh, big time players, top fifty picks, the, breaking tackles from them and. And he has a nose for the end zone, too. So I know he's 5'10", he's 227 pounds, small for what you would consider a fullback for sure. So that that's the tough thing of where do you place him. But I, I think you, you could draft him. I think you could use him in maybe a, like a third down running back role and have him be a lead blocker sometimes. There's, I think there's definitely some opportunity there. Well, let's move on to the wide receivers. And like I alluded to a little bit earlier, one of the, the – the best, maybe the best crop of wide receivers that we've seen at the Senior Bowl, maybe in this century, maybe since uh, since the turn of the century. I mean, it's really that good, especially when you consider all of the underclassmen that came out early last year. You'd think that would have had taken a toll on this senior wide receiver crop, but that wasn't the case. Uh, and, and let's start with an underclassman. With all that said about how great the senior class is, let's talk about start with the underclassman that was there. Sammy Coates from Auburn, uh, probably the highest-ranked wide receiver in Mobile going in. And uh, for those who aren't familiar, technically he was a junior, but he already had his degree. So he was one of the players taking advantage of that rule where uh, underclassmen can participate if they met a certain set of criteria. And, and Coates is a local guy, so it was a, a perfect match. And, uh, I mean, he looks the part. 6'1 and 3 quarters, 213 pounds, really long arms, 33 and a half inch arms, which I believe were the longest arms of any of the wide receivers there. Uh, uh, it just, just absolutely looks the part and explosive speed. This guy is, uh, even though he's, he's bigger, most of the other guys that we're going to talk about is being in contention to be one of the fastest players in this draft. You know they're they're 180 pounds. They're five foot nine, five foot eight. Sammy Coates is six one three quarters, two thirteen, and he's still going to run four three four four. And and we know he's a big play threat. He wasn't he wasn't overly productive in terms of the quantity of catches, 
but the quality was there. Uh, he made the most of them. He averaged over the last two years uh, about 21 and a half yards a catch the last two years, uh, 11 touchdowns, so uh, very much a vertical big play threat. And when it comes to just running that nine route, going vertical, Sammy Coates does it as well as anybody in this draft. Uh, but And we could probably lump Devin Smith from Ohio State in the same conversation because they were both, I think, trying to show during the week of practices that they were more than just that vertical threat, that they could – do run the, the underneath routes and be a threat in that short to intermediate game as well. So um, I, I think Coates and Smith, I think think to necessarily hurt or really help their grade significantly though. Uh, I, I think they were both considered to be top 50 type of prospects going in. And I still think they're top 50 type of prospects going out. I don't think they, either of them may move themselves into that top tier of, of at the wide out position. But uh, I, I think we have a lot more information on them now though, if nothing else, I think we feel more comfortable that they're going to be able to, to operate as an all-around pass catcher and not just a one-dimensional vertical guy. So uh, all in all, that's a net positive for both of those guys and their draft stocks coming out, even if they didn't jump a half around, if you will. And both are very different players, too. Both were deep threats. I think you saw both do some different things this week with Devin Smith doing more underneath, trying to show that, hey, he could be one of those players in a short West Coast system that can catch the ball and do things after the catch. And Sammy Coates showed off that that size in the red zone in practice, making catches, scoring touchdowns. Um, So try to do different things. I don't know if they were supremely successful with that, that you felt, man, now this guy's definitely a wide receiver one. Coates has that upside, but he also has some downside as he's had injuries. He's had some lack of production. And I think Devin Smith, it's just a question of is, is he an NFL number one receiver? Is he number one starter? Can he be that, that versatile and that dynamic? So um, both very good players. Uh, both, I think, have a shot at the first round. Um, but, but I think early in that second round, the top 50 is good. Well, and one player who drew positive reviews throughout the week who I expected to was Justin Hardy from East Carolina, who I've been saying all along that he's underrated. I've had him as a second-round prospect from the giddy-up, and I think he solidified that grade. Not the biggest player in the world, 5'10 and a half, 190 pounds, but uh, a really good route runner, extremely productive, and, and I, I'm a big fan of Justin Hardy, and I think he, uh, he, he, he proved out this week. Uh, a couple of guys, Shane, that got a lot of – talk throughout the week. Tyler Lockett from Kansas State and uh, Philip Dorsett from Miami of Florida. Uh, both guys not real big. Dorsett came in at 5'9 and 5'8", 183 pounds and Lockett came at 5'9 and 5'8", 181 pounds. So basically the same size. Two of the fastest players in this draft. Two guys that are being talked about uh, maybe run 4'2", 4'3". Um, but my, my concern is are they starting wide receivers? And I know in this day and age of the NFL that number three receivers are essentially a starting position, but boy, I would have a hard time investing a top 100 pick in a number three receiver. Uh, I just think with those premium draft picks, I want to take a guy who fits the prototype of a number one, number two starter more so than maybe a a slot, a situational type. And, 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 I mean, I understand the value of that position now, and it's becoming more and more valuable. But would, would and especially I, I saw during the game they they were talking about Dorsett as a first round pick, maybe. I mean, to me that blows my mind. Uh, not only considering the type of player he is, but I, I think his hands are a question mark as well. I, I've seen him drop some 
have some pretty egregious drops during his college career. So, uh, what what are your thoughts on Lockett, Lockett and Dorsett? I like both. I think Lockett's a little more consistent and probably a little bit more reliable, but I do think he is a little bit more limited than Dorsett in terms of what you can do with him as that deep threat, as that kind of slot receiver. I, I think I think first round's a little much for Philip Dorsett, but I can see uh, where that comes from. I, I, Miami used him in a lot of different ways this year, and I think he has a lot of similar traits to T.Y. Hilton uh, in the NFL, and that that's I think that's going to become in vogue when you have a player that a can run in the four threes and he can go out on the boundary. I don't think he's limited by the slot necessarily. He can go out on the boundary and make a catch there. He has a lot of those tech, technical problems with his hands and and uh, sometimes getting the separation or getting jammed at the line. But uh, I think he's a little bit better at that, at avoiding some of that contact. I, getting the best of bigger corners. So I'm actually really intrigued by him and what he can do. I think first round's a little bit much, but I think I think the second day teams are taking these type of receivers. We talked about John Brown earlier in that late second day. It is a really good class. And if that's what you need, I think Dorsett might be the best one in this class. Well, another guy who falls into somewhat of a similar category, Jamison Crowder from Duke. And once again, the size, 5'8", 174 pounds. So he's actually smaller than Dorsett and Lockett uh, and and very much profiles as a slot receiver, returns to the next level, but a good little player. Uh, One of those guys who's, he's fast, but I would say more quick than fast. He's more of a short area guy. Um, and, And even just as a return man, he's one of the better return men in this class and a guy who he's got value just in the, from the special teams aspect of it, but uh, but it proved out as a wide receiver as well. Had a really good week, and, and a lot of the defensive backs talked about he was one of the guys they, they struggled to cover, and, and once again, he's, he's in that same category, uh, maybe a notch below Lockett and Dorsett, but how early do you invest in a player like that? But uh, for me, I think it's probably somewhere early on day three. I think round four, round five for Crowder. Yeah, I, I, Crowder is is a little bit tougher for me to to evaluate. Um, I think as as a return guy and as a slot receiver, you could get a lot of good value of him. He's obviously been very productive. Uh, one of the player, one of the hardest players to cover in that short area distance because he cuts so well. Um, but he's definitely. I think even more so than Lockett and Dorsett. He's in that fine role of number three, number four, a wide receiver that can move those chains and you hope that uh, his body holds up. So I, but I, I really like him as a, as a player. I don't think you come away from a game and think he had a bad game. I don't know if I've ever seen Jameson Crowder have a bad game uh, at that, that, that uh, Duke. So I, I, super productive. I, I like him. I think early on that third day would be a great, he'd be a great pick. Well, on the negative side, I think you probably have to list Ty Montgomery from Stanford. Uh, Coming into the season, his senior season, most people felt had a first-round grade. And and he looks the part. I mean, he's 5'11", 3 quarters, 216 pounds. He's almost built like a running back. But had a very inconsistent, not only senior campaign, but but week at the Senior Bowl. And, boy, I I think he's going to end up going – quite a bit lower than, than people expect. Like I said, Shane, at one point we were talking about the first round. At this point, I'm not even sure if he goes in the second round. I, I don't I don't know if he does. He's the, he's a player I just keep dropping down my board, and I think this senior yeah. bowl week kind of solidified that. 
I, I don't know. Was there, I, I haven't read one thing impressive about him in practice. I didn't see one thing on the NFL Network impressive. I didn't see one thing in the game where I felt good about him. He just seemed to, to disappear. Yeah, and, and those Ted Ginn uh, comparisons, I think, are becoming more prevalent where, yeah, he looks the part, and, but there's just there's something missing there. Uh, and you just wonder if he's a better athlete than he is a football player. Maybe that's the problem. But uh, uh, a really good group of wide receivers. Uh, I think we should at least mention, too, Rennell Hall from Central Florida, who was kind of a late ad, um, uh, but, but really took advantage of the opportunity and helped himself as well and had a good week. So, But top to bottom, uh, do you think this is the best group of wide receivers that you can remember at the Senior Bowl, Shane? Because it is for me. Yeah, I, I think it's – I mean, you have Coates, you have Smith, even with Montgomery, you have a lot of talent there, you got that speed. I, I think it's a really good group from top to bottom when you talk about a full group. Well, let's move on to the tight ends. And uh, it, it was it, – we talked about how this this tight end is one of the weak, weaker positions in the 2015 NFL draft, but there were some standouts at the position at the Senior Bowl, and I think you start with Clive Walford from Miami, who had the the highest grade going into the week, and I think he had the highest grade coming out. I still think he's the favorite to be the top senior off the board. Uh, I, I think depending on how you view Devin Funches from Michigan, but then it's Max Williams from Minnesota and probably Walford. Now, the question I have for you, Shane, is – does Walford challenge Max Williams to be that, depending on Funchess, number number one or number two tight end off the board? Do you think he put himself in that conversation? Because I have to admit, he was fat. He looked more athletic and explosive and faster than I th- in the practices than I got the impression from watching him during his senior season on the game tape. Uh, I kind of wondered if he had that that upper level athleticism that you kind of look for at the tight end position these days. And uh, I saw, saw that much more at the senior bowl than I did from the tape. So that's the thing that stood out for Walford with me, but I guess I'm interested to hear your take. Do you think he challenges to be the, the first or second tight end off the board? I, I think he could. Now I don't think it's going to happen. I'd still lean Max Williams, but I, after watching Clive Walford and I've been, a fan of his, uh, I think we've been talking about him since we restarted the podcast. I've been trying to slip his name in here. Just a, just a very good athlete. I agree. He looked more athletic there than I think they ever let him be at Miami. And so you take that, you have the red, the red zone threat that he already brings to the table, and now he can actually get separation. He can be an athletic mismatch at, at 254 pounds and at 6'4". There's a lot that you can do with him. Um, and and I, I think he could challenge Max Williams. I think if you're really looking for uh, that player to be the put him out in the slot and try to have him be this bigger receiver mismatch, I think Clive Wolford could be that guy. Well, the other guy who stood out for me for tight end was Nick Boyle from Delaware, uh, another small school prospect. And, and, and Boyle was already considered to be a, a pretty good prospect coming in. I think he was already in that fourth, fifth round range, maybe push himself into the top 100 overall. Now, I have some similar concerns with him that I had with Crockett Gilmore last year, where very good player and a terrific all-around player in terms of he can be a a, a pass-catching threat in that short to intermediate range, also a very good blocker, but I just don't know what the upside is. Is he going to be that dynamic weapon in the passing game that teams are looking for at tight end? And I, I just don't know. And if the answer to that is no, I don't know that I want to invest a third round pick on a player who like that. So, um, and, and kind of, uh, maybe 
surpassed a guy like Ben Koyak from Notre Dame. Similar types of players, but if you told me Nick Boyle is going to be go in round three, but I could get Koyak in round five, I'd probably wait to take Koyak. I don't think there's that big of a difference there. So Boyle's a guy, I, I guess I just have to come to terms with what his upside is before I, I, final, I settle on a final opinion of him. But had a really good week at practice in Mobile and helped himself. And, and we saw last year with Crockett Gilmore went from a late round possibility into the top 100 overall based on his all-star game performances. And I think Nick Boyle could be a similar type of situation where maybe he pushed himself into day two. I, th- I think it is. He's He flashed some athletic ability. He flashed a little bit of upside, but I don't think it's consistent enough to say this is a starting two-way tight end that's going to make big catches for you down the seam. I think he's a, a solid pass catcher. He's a solid blocker, and he'll, he'll go out and fight to pick up that extra yardage. He's a good player. Is he a great player? Probably not. I feel like Clive Walford could become a great player. I don't think Nick Boyle has that type of potential. I don't think Ben Koyak has that type of potential. And I think that's what puts them down a tier. Uh, I still I still probably lean early third day, I think, for Nick Boyle. If you, if you can get him in the early fourth round, then um, you can develop him into something. But top 100 is a little bit, little bit too rich for my taste. Well, and, and one final player I want to mention at tight end just quickly is Casey Pierce from Kent State, who was added late as a replacement uh, and uh, a, a guy who, who really kept at it. You have to admire his diligence because he, he stayed in the ear of Phil Savage and said, hey, I'd like to play in the senior bowl. If there's an opportunity for me, let me know. And, and throughout the, the entire process, it kind of uh, kept his name on the short list. And if I, eventually he got that late invite and, and uh, acclimated himself very well. I think he, uh, he, he impressed, and I think he gave himself a shot to be drafted. So you have to admire that type of perseverance from a player. And, uh, uh, and I, I think that Casey Pierce was a net positive for him. Uh, let's jump up along the offensive line, Shane, get in the trenches where I like to talk. And uh, I, I think we've got to start with a disappointment, unfortunately, and that's TJ Clemens from Pittsburgh. We often talk about how very rarely do you see guys hurt their stock by playing in the Senior Bowl, but that might be the case with Clemens this year. Now, I will say the talk about him maybe going in the top 10 overall going into the week, I think that was based at least partly on the assumption that he was going to really impress at the Senior Bowl, and that didn't happen. Uh, Clemens really struggled. Now, he looks the part. Uh, he came in at 6'4 and 5'8", 307 pounds, uh, just under 35-inch arms. He's got big 10.5-inch hands. Looks the part. He just struggled. He's raw. I mean, he only played a couple years of high school football. Then he played defensive line early in his college career. He's only been playing offensive line for two years. So he's just raw when it comes to the technical aspects of the position. But the talent is there. And I still think he's going to go in the first round. But it might be more of the top 20, top 25, more so than top 10, top 15. But um, I, I, I think Clemens performing so poorly is one of my greatest disappointments this week. Because I've been a huge fan of him from the very early in the season. I've been singing his praises. And I was expecting so much much from him and maybe I was expecting too much but I, I kind of thought he was going to go in there and and be this year's Eric Fisher and a guy who just dominates and and we just didn't see that type of performance despite all the potential yeah it, it, it sucks because you, you wanted to really see him come out and have 
a good performance. A lot of times offensive tackles do help themselves a ton in senior bowl week, and, and he, he didn't. Uh, he, he didn't. He struggled with a lot of the inside moves, a lot of the technique issues where he, he just could not, uh, a little bit overextended, and would get beat by players that had better technique and better leverage than him. And I think he was just a little bit overmatched in terms of what he knows about the position compared to some of the others that are there. So, so that stinks. Does that necessarily knock him out of the first round? I don't think so uh, because you do see the upside and what he can bring to the table. Now, we've seen a lot of those players that go in the top 50 based on upside. Someone like Mike Adams, for example, not hit that. We've seen someone like Dwayne Brown uh, do, do hit that. So it can go either way. I think Clemens still has that, and when you consider that he's played the position for two years in college, and I think he can still do it. But top 10, top 15, maybe even top 20 might be a little bit pushing it. So many guys to talk about along the offensive line. Uh, let's hit Lyle Collins from LSU next. Uh, had a terrific career, played left tackle in college. A lot of speculation, is he a left tackle, is he a right tackle, is he a guard? And I still think there's some uncertainty there, but I think the further we go in this process, I think you have to feel more and more confident that he can maybe handle himself on the outside. And it might be a similar situation to to Zach Martin and Joel Petonio last year where, yeah, they, they technically could play tackle probably, but their best fit might be inside a guard. But regardless of where Collins line is going to line up, he's a heck of a football player. And uh, not necessarily one standout trait. I don't know that there's one area of his game, and I would say, oh, he's just amazing at this, but he does everything well. He is just rock solid, all around player, and it's going to be interesting to see where he comes off the board. Uh, I, I know there's he has a lot of fans within the draft net community. Um, I, I guess I'm kind of right in the middle. I think he's going to go somewhere in that top 20, top 25 range, but uh, certainly made a strong case for himself with his performance in Mobile. And it's one of those cases, Shane, where we keep trying to doubt him, I think, but he just keeps answering the call. Uh, he just keeps getting the job done. And at a certain point, I think we're going to have to start giving him the benefit of the doubt and just say, hey, I don't know where he's going to line up necessarily, but he's a first-rounder. I think he's first rounder, and hey, I, I think maybe could play that left tackle position. I think he has the movement ability. If, if you want to just say we're going to kick Lyle Collins inside into guard, uh, and that's it, or we're going to put him right tackle, that's it, you could do that. But I think you're limiting yourself as to what he can do. He plays played it well at LSU. He played it well at the Senior Bowl. I say you give him that opportunity, and just like just like maybe we saw from uh, from Robinson on the Rams last year, that went number two overall. You can start him at guard, and he can work his way up to that. Wouldn't be a bad move. I think you start then to talk about him amongst the top of this offensive tackle group and where he can go, because I think it is a little bit jumbled at the top, and I think he's pushed himself into that conversation. Uh, let's see. Let's let's talk next about a guy I've been a big fan of, Lakin Tomlinson from Duke. Uh, in past shows, I've compared him to this year's Larry Warford, this year's Gabe Gabe Jackson. That he he's very much going to be a fit for a more of a, a run blocking power type blocking scheme. But uh, Tomlinson had a really good week. Came in a six three and a quarter, three hundred twenty three pounds, and and. And, and and showed the exact skill set that I talked about. He's a mauler. Uh, he he can he's stout at the point of attack. He can generate movement in the run game, and I think he's probably going to fall probably into that third round somewhere, just like we saw with with Warford and Jackson, just because uh, he's he's kind of scheme 
specific and not every team is necessarily going to be in the market for a player like that. But if you want a tough, grinded out offensive guard, uh, Lake and Tomlinson, I think is a heck of a player. And I think he showed that in mobile and, uh, going into the week, I had him as my number four offensive guard. He might very well be two or three coming out of the week. Uh, I'm just a big fan of his, but, but I I think the the concern still is just, he's just going to be, you got to find the right scheme fit. I mean, then find the right scheme fit and take him. Like, just, just if you have that right scheme fit, take this guy, because I think he's going to be a starter for a long time in the NFL and, and be really successful. Larry Warford-esque, uh, where if teams just pass on him because of, well, he doesn't fit our system, he doesn't necessarily uh, – we don't think that he can, he can do that, and some team gets a steal by taking him later than he should go, uh, that, that, that that's just – that's just abysmal to pass on a player if who has this type of talent. Yeah, he's big, he's strong, he's, he, he's going to be that power blocker. I think a lot of teams um, can find a place for that type of guy if he's successful at what he does. And Lakin Tomlinson obviously is not only uh, a player successful on the field, but he, he has the mindset, he has the football IQ. Uh, maybe you can mold him more than we think. I, I've, uh, you've turned me around, Scott. You, you were the first person to talk uh, uh, to him to me about him and I've I've become I've fallen in love with him ever since then. Well, another player I want to highlight along the offensive line is Ali Marpet from Hobart. And and I said I thought he had maybe as much to gain at this year's senior bowl as just about any prospect because the number one concern about him was level of competition. Not only was he a small schooler, he was almost the smallest of the small schoolers. Division three, not one double A, not division two, division three. So the the big concern was the level of competition, but I think Ali Marpet acquitted himself extremely well. Uh, struggled a little bit early in the week, as we often see from small school pros. Better and better as the week went on, especially on the interior, and uh, saw action at both guard and center. Uh, I had him in, at, at my rank; he's at guard, but I, I think I might be moving him to center uh, going forward. And and I think Ali Marpet got himself drafted, and now it's just a matter of how high does he get drafted because he had a really good good week he's a, a good athlete um and, and and not as raw as you might think I, he's a pretty good technician uh, he's pretty well coached considering uh the, the level he played at so uh ali marpet i i think he had a, a big target on his back going into the senior bowl and, and i think he answered the call and, and i like i say I, I think it's not a matter of whether or not he's gonna be drafted now it's just a matter of how early I was very impressed. Obviously, not a player that I have. I have not watched Hobart yet. I apologize, but uh, maybe uh, hopefully I'll get to it by the draft and really get to see him in his element. But hey, man, everything you saw uh, in those practices of him was just a very, very solid player going up against a very tough defensive tackle, standing up to them. I thought he had an excellent game where he came in and was was moving, was getting some lead blocks in that game, building holes up. Um, I, I don't even know where Hobart is. I'm going to be honest with you. And and I thought he played very well. So uh, I, I'm impressed. I'm excited to see more. And I think ultimately center guard somewhere on the interior uh, where he's going to play. Well, uh, a few more offensive linemen. There's just so many of them we got to talk about. Uh, Donovan Smith from Penn State, another one of the quote-unquote underclassmen who were playing in this game, had already graduated. So he took advantage of that opportunity. And, you know, Shane, a couple of years ago watching Donovan Smith, I thought he looked like a future early-round pick. Then the last couple of years, the results have been kind of mixed. He's dropped off a little bit, but 
boy, I mean, he's big. He's 6'5 and three quarters, came in at 341 pounds, long 34 and a quarter inch arms, big 83 inch wingspan. So looks the part. And I still think he's a little heavy footed. I don't know if he's going to be, I'm not convinced yet that he's going to be a left tackle at the next level, but um, I think Donovan Smith absolutely helped himself. I had a mid-round grade on him coming into the week because of the inconsistent film. I think he put himself at least to the high end of the, that, the the day three range, maybe even into late day two based on his performance because a lot of experience, he's a good kid, uh, great size, a lot of stuff you can't teach. So um, I, I, I think you, I, I believe I saw on Twitter that you were pleasantly surprised with Donovan Smith as well. Absolutely. I think we fall in the same category. I never came away feeling super impressed by him and and then seeing his uh his his weigh in numbers here uh, he uh, six five and and three quarters three hundred and forty one pounds I was like, ooh, we'll see how he does. Ended up having a really good week of practice, and I thought he had a great game too. Played very well and was a little more consistent, got a little more of a push, showed that power that from his body type you think he'd be able to do. I think I would kind of like him a little more on the interior as well, but he's shown he can play offensive tackle too, uh, but that's just my personal preference depending on scheme. So I'm definitely moving him up too, and I, I was impressed after being unimpressed at Penn State. Then on the flip side, a guy who maybe hurt himself a little bit was Ty Sambreo from Colorado State, who was at one point being talked about as maybe a late first rounder. Didn't have a great week. Uh, wasn't necessarily in the best of shape, it didn't sound like, and uh, and maybe not quite as athletic as we thought, uh, and played left tackle in college, but a lot of talk coming out of the Senior Bowl week that he's going to be kicking inside to guard, so... So I, I thought that was an interesting development because Sambreo, he was kind of one of the, the favorites in that maybe second tier, that late first, early second round range at that offensive tackle position. I'm not so sure that's necessarily the case anymore. Uh, he, he might still be a, a day two pick, but it might be as more of a guard and a little further down than we thought. It could be. I still, I still like his, uh, his skill set. I still think there's some potential there, but definitely did not play up to that potential, and then that's that's been his big thing. Is well, this guy has the athletic ability, he has the size, he should be good, and you watch him, and he's not always good. So the senior bowl is more of the same. I don't think it was necessarily different. Uh, it just reinstilled why he's not a first round pick and why he's kind of been slowly falling as people watch him more and more. Uh, I think he still could could get into that top 100 based on potential, but it's uh, it might be an uphill battle, especially with players like like Donovan Smith, like Rob Havenstein, uh, like them having a very good week. Well, and I'll tell you what, for the offensive guards. Uh, I'm not sure A.J. Can of South Carolina and Jose Matias from Florida State made great decisions to pass out because some there's some guards that are going to give them a run for their money. We talked about Jarvis Harrison at the NFLPA game. We talked about Lakin Tomlinson at the Senior Bowl. We talked about John Miller at the NFLPA. Um, you know, the, I don't know if the top of those offensive guard rankings are quite as, as settled maybe as as we thought now, uh, especially with so many guys playing so well during on the all-star circuit. Uh, two more names along the offensive line quickly. Uh, Shaquille Mason from Georgia Tech, a guy I wasn't as high on as some going in, Shane, just because of that lack of ideal length. Only 6'1 and 5'8", he's short-armed. Uh, but but he looked good, and and we know he can run back run block after playing at Georgia Tech. The question was the pass blocking ability, and I think he looked better and better that at that 
the more reps he got as the week went on. So uh, I'm kind of got one foot on the, the Shaq Mason bandwagon, and I know there are some that have been full throttle the entire way. So I'm 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 I'm, co- I'm coming to their side of things. I might have been wrong on him a little early in the process. So he's a guy I'm going to go back and take another look at. And then how about Rob Havenstein from Wisconsin? I mean, is he exactly what we expected? I mean, he's six seven and three eighths. 332 pounds. He's just a tough, plodding, blue-collar Wisconsin offensive lineman. Whatever image pops in your mind when you think of Wisconsin offensive lineman, that's Rob Havenstein. And he might not be a a franchise left tackle, but he's going to be like Rick Wagner, where somebody's going to get him in in like the fourth round, and he's going to be starting for them early in his career probably. It's amazing to me sometimes just how – how much these sim- these schools can produce similar players like Rob Havenstein. I, I, I didn't have him very high in my rankings, and I thought he was a little less talented than Rick Wagner and these type of players. And then you watch him in the Senior Bowl week, and he looks like a spitting image of just what Wisconsin offensive tackles have been. And they've they've been they made rosters, they've been solid. So I think you have to move him up and start to consider him uh, early in that day three process. But I, I was impressed, and and Shaq Mason. Yeah, dominant dominant run blocker, even with his length. Um, I don't know if, if I would take him super high, but uh, you've definitely seen some production there. So uh, he's he's intriguing, and another player I want to go back and watch more and try to watch some of those pass plays and see what I can get out of it. All right, let's jump to the other side of the ball along the defensive line, and let's start with Carl Davis from Iowa, who was one of, I think, the big winners of the 2015 Senior Bowl and was already a pretty highly regarded prospect going in, but I think he showed us a lot more than the film did. And and playing in the scheme that he did, he just didn't have a lot of opportunities to get upfield and make plays. They wanted him to kind of two-gap and occupy blockers and let the, allow the linebackers to make the plays. So uh, you just didn't see on tape the type of impact plays you'd expect for somebody who's being talked about as a top 50 overall type of guy. Um, but but he showed much more of that at the Senior Bowl. It's like the reins were finally taken off and he was he was free to run wild, and, and he absolutely did. Uh, came in at 6'4 and 5'8", 321 pounds, long arms, 34 and a half inches, 11-inch hands. I mean, he is a built. He fits the mold. And, and we know, based on the film, that he can play the run. That was never a question mark. It was just a matter of what else could he do. Was he just a nose tackle, or could he penetrate and wreak some havoc in the backfield as well? And I think he showed that to the point where now he's going to be in that, that, that late first-round conversation. And, Shane, we kind of been, have been talking throughout this entire process, going back months now, where – you know, you have. We knew we had Leonard Williams from USC at the top, and Danny Shelton from Washington's been on the radar for a while. But after that, it's been kind of muddied. But I think we're starting now to see that that second tier of defense, defensive tackles, kind of shake out. And I think Carl Davis has firmly put himself in that conversation. Absolutely, he he could go in the late first round when you see this type of dominant performance. And we've seen defensive tackles dominate at the Senior Bowl and come away and have a lot of success. Um, B.J. Raji, probably one of the biggest examples of having a dominant Senior Bowl week uh, through the game. And I I thought Carl Davis did the same thing. I thought he had a really good game as well, um, getting into the backfield and and making tackles and getting pressures and and disrupting plays. Uh, He was really good. And and that's – but you get that from him from Iowa. you never come away um, thinking this is a, an Indomitian Sioux or a super athlete that's that's so rangy and can do so many things, but he is always there and always changing the offense. 
when you've had that type of success, so we, we said it last year with Aaron Donald, not that Davis is in Aaron Donald's class as a player, but uh, he's, he's a notch below. But we said the, the same type of stuff where even if he, he doesn't seem like he has all those athletic tools, but he gets it done on the field, how, how can you just pass on this guy? So I, I'm impressed. I, I have him in the top 50 now, and um, I, I don't know. I, I think the sky's the limit for where a team could take him. Uh, Danny Shelton from Washington, uh, arguably the top prospect in this year's game, uh, quite possibly a top 10 overall pick, uh, came in at 6'1 and 3 quarters, 343 pounds. He was very happy about that uh, about that weight, uh, even though I, I believe in college they listed him at 339. The reports are that he played at significantly heavier than that uh so so he was happy that he got down to that 343 range it's gonna be interesting to see what he checks in at another month from now at the scouting combine but uh shelton uh, the stamina kind of waned uh i think later in the practices later in the week but i think he flashed the the top of the first round type of talent we expected so uh no surprise there um uh, my guy, Shane, Owamabi Odigizua, defensive end on UCLA, I think had a really good week. And, you know, I've been singing his praises for a long time, partly because I like saying his name and partly because I think he's a heck of a football player. And uh, I, I think he's kind of a poor man's Dayton Jones. I think he's a little more athletic than Jones and has a little bit more 4-3 defensive end potential than Dayton Jones did, who was kind of that prototypical five technique for an odd front. But Odigizua, I think, is a much better athlete. I, th- I think he showed that explosion. He's got the size. Uh, I'm just a big fan of him, and to me, uh, he was a, a day two pick all day long beforehand for me, and, and I, I think uh, I think most others are going to agree with that now coming out of the Senior Bowl. Yeah, I think so too. I think he showed his potential, which we've you've talked about, Scott, really, and I've I've listened to commented on for months now uh, for Odigizua. He's, he he looked he looked apart. He did what he did at UCLA. I think he confirmed. That's what a lot of these All Star games do is confirm what you think or confirm those questions that you have. And this is one of those prime examples. I think a lot of the defensive ends um, and defensive linemen as a whole, all all a lot of them did that. Not everyone, but a lot of them did that. And I think a lot of them helped themselves too. Well, and Preston Smith from Mississippi State is another guy who who made a positive impression. Um, had a breakout senior campaign. I believe he had 15 tackles for a loss and nine sacks. Uh, he came in at six four and three quarters, 270 pounds. So he definitely fits the profile. My issue with him is I just don't know. Despite those that that big jump in those those tackles behind the line of scrimmage and the sacks as a senior, I don't know that I see a a dominant player there. I think he's a really good player. I don't know if I see a difference maker. And I kind of think of Pernell McPhee when I watch him, and partly maybe because he's coming from the same type of a, the same program there at Mississippi State. But um, So that's what's holding me back a little bit. I don't know that I'm quite as high on him as some. You hear second round being talked about. I, I've even heard late first round. I just I don't see that. I mean, to me, he's more of a, a late day two type of guy. But um, but once again, I mean, it's, it's, it's a point there. At a certain point, we have to say, well, he, he, he had a terrific senior year. He had a good senior bowl week. Uh, maybe we just have to trust our eyes and, and, and stop looking for flaws with him. And maybe that's what I'm doing to a certain degree. But uh, Preston Smith definitely is built on the on his momentum from his senior campaign. Uh, Grady Jarrett from Clemson. You mentioned the name Aaron Donald earlier, Shane. If there's an Aaron Donald in this class, it, it might be Grady Jarrett. Jarrett, who's not real big, six foot and seven eighths, two hundred eighty-eight pounds, but boy, can he be a, a terror in the interior of the line there? 
um, get, just ex- uses that quickness and athleticism to penetrate and, and get skinny through those gaps. And uh, and maybe even Geno Atkins would be another comparison there. But Grady Jarrett, I, I, I was a big fan of his, and I, I think he's going to be a, a day two pick as well. I think somebody's going to take a chance on him uh, probably round three. And, and I think the success Aaron Donald had as a rookie in the NFL is going to help Jarrett's case. Absolutely. He played extremely well. Another one of those players you just have to take based on the production, based on how he plays. And and, and I'm I'm probably a little higher on Preston Smith than you are. I I was impressed with him and and what I saw watching watching what I could of the practices here. And man, Preston Smith gets in the backfield. I mean, he finds different ways to beat you to be offensive lineman. Uh, he did that obviously in college for those tackle for loss numbers, but continued it at the Senior Bowl. And I think sometimes you got to just overlook that. And just like Grady Jarrett. Sometimes the size, this athletic ability, uh, if you're just a good technical football player, it, it, it can pass you by, and both these guys have been very productive at their levels. Well, as we transition into the linebacker position, let's talk about some guys that are making, potentially making the transition from a college defensive end to an outside linebacker at the next level. Uh, Nate Orchard from Utah, Haoli Kakaha from Washington, and uh, also uh, Lorenzo Malden from Louisville. And, and Malden does have more experience than the other two guys playing on his feet, uh, especially as a senior. Uh, but that was still a big question mark, especially for Orchard and Kakaha. And and I think Orchard might end up being one of the big winners from the Senior Bowl week. I think of that group, I thought Orchard looked the best. And he had a, a really good week of practices, uh, looked good in the game. And, and I think he he showed, unlike, say, Michael Sam a year ago, where very productive senior year, but then Michael Sam showed a, he, he can't play on his feet. He's just a defensive end, so that kind of changed your entire perception of him. I think with Nate Orchard, he he proved to scouts that he can play in space, play on his feet, so uh, I think Nick, Nate Orchard kind of solidified his top 50 grade. Yeah, yeah, I still think he, in the, especially in the game, I thought he struggled a little bit with that closing speed that you want as a linebacker, but Definitely heads and shoulders above what we saw from Michael Sam last year in the Senior Bowl. Orchard made that transition, and they dropped him, dropping him back into coverage. Thought he did pretty well. So I think actually a lot more players this year made that transition easier than we've seen in years past. Um, and Kakaha, it was kind of a mixed bag. Um, there were positive signs and there were negative signs. I think the jury is still out as to where Kakaha is going to play. And it's another case, despite all the production as a senior. And uh, I believe he wound up, he was second, or was he first in sacks? It was he and Orchard were one, two in sacks as, as senior. But Kakaha finished with 19 sacks, 25 tackles for a loss. You love the intensity. You love the motor. But I'm still not 100% convinced yet that he can play outside linebacker. And then the durability. He's had a couple of major knee injuries. is going to be a concern, too. So I kind of wonder if Kakaha might drop a little further than people expect. I still think he's a day-two pick, certainly. But, you know, at one point he's being talked about in the first round. I don't know if that's realistic considering the concerns with him. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about Kakaha, what you saw from him. And, and have you made a, a final determination yet? you think he can play a linebacker, or are you still – kind of uh, waiting for some more information, maybe at the scouting combine like I am. I I think I'm in on him as a 3-4 linebacker, as a pass-rushing linebacker, pin his ears back, let him go after the quarterback for the most part. I, I think I'm sold. 
if if the medical checks out. I think it's the biggest thing with him is from a talent perspective, he's an absolute top 50 guy. He, he can get to the quarterback. That's what teams want, and that's what he does extremely well. But uh, to me, it's, well, how much do we want to use him dropping back into coverage? Uh, and how much do we want to use him against the run? How can we cover up those deficiencies? And the, the ACL tears, that's, that's going to be the biggest question mark. So I love his talent, but I think Kaka has, has talent and spades to rush the quarterback. And if you – it's it's too high maybe to draft a situational pass rusher. If you can develop some of those skills, I think he absolutely can stand up at a 3-4 and let, let him rush the passer and do his thing. That's what you're going to pay him for. Well, another tweener, hybrid, whatever you want to call them, that, that I was really impressed by was Lyndon Trail out of Norfolk State. And, of course, he began his college career at Florida before transferring down. Um, Lyndon Trail looks the part. I mean, this guy is one of the, this guy is one of the first people you want off get, getting off the bus. Six uh, six and a quarter, two hundred sixty two pounds, uh, thirty four and seven eighths inch arms. I mean, his, his his arm length is comparable to to some of the top offensive linemen. Uh, and I mean, he he moves extremely well for a guy that big. Uh, and then he's big enough that you could say he could be a four three defensive end, but he's athletic enough that he could very easily be a three four outside linebacker and. The, the comparison I've been making for Trail all along is to Larry Webster, who was a fifth-round pick out of Bloomsburg to the Lions last year, and, and that comparison kind of came full circle because, like Webster, Trail was getting some looks at tight end as well. He got some reps in the tight end drills during the Senior Bowl week, but uh, I think Lyndon Trail really helped himself and was already considered one of the top five, top ten small school prospects in this class, and I think he very much solidified that grade to the point where now I'm thinking he might even go higher than Webster. I'm not convinced that he's as good as Webster necessarily, but I think early day three, Linden Trail is going to be a, a pretty hot commodity. And, and honestly, I could even see somebody talking themselves into him a little bit earlier because as we often see, when it comes to defensive linemen and pass rushers, there, there's always quite a few of them, but it drops off pretty quick. They usually go early and often. So but I tell you what, by the time you get to the latter part of that top 100, Linden Trail might be one of the better options available. But worst case, I think he's going to go early on day three uh, because – like I say, I mean, he's just a really intriguing. And I think he's got a lot of people that are going to go back now and say, I'm going to take another look at Linden Trail based on how he performed in Mobile. Well, he's physically impressive. I mean, that's the first thing when you see a, a linebacker 6'6", 262. I, I think he's going to be a player that stands up um, and you can kind of find a place for him. But there's even talk of him moving to tight end because he has that arm length. He has that size. I mean, talk about a mismatch at 6'6", 262 with some of his athletic ability and, and his arm length. There's a lot you could do with him uh, is is pretty crazy. So maybe we see one of these guys that plays defense and you bring him in in the goal line at tight end and, and see if he can go up for passes. Um, Linden Trail is, is – has that upside. He could be a phenomenal NFL player. Is he there yet? Not even close. Uh, but you, you see the body type, and that's what you're looking for. So I, I think he could move up. I mean, I don't think he goes in the second day, but I think when fourth round, someone could take a shot on him. I, I guess the best way that I would describe Lyndon Trail is that he's a really easy guy to fall in love with <laughs> because because he's just dr yeah. dripping with potential. I mean, it, you don't have to talk yourself into him too hard. Uh uh, another player I wanted to mention at linebacker is Stephon Anthony from Clemson, who had a really good week of practices. 
uh, and and I think was an underrated player going into the week. Maybe not so much anymore. Now I, I think there's a chance he could go in the top 100. Maybe he's this year's, uh, say Preston Brown or Demario Davis, that inside linebacker that that sneaks into the back end of day two. Uh, uh, even though there's there's some guys that ha- maybe have uh, higher profiles or more impressive college resumes like A.J. Johnson from Tennessee, maybe Hayes Pollard from USC, Trey DePriest from Alabama. I could very easily see Anthony going ahead of all of those guys, and um, I think he might go a little earlier than people expect. Uh, And like I said, we saw last year with Preston Brown how as the draft got closer and closer, Preston Brown just kind of continued to climb. I think that could happen again this year with Anthony. It's very possible. Uh, He's not dynamic. He's not a player who is going to drop back in coverage and maybe be excellent in that. But I'll tell you, with Stephon Anthony, he plays downhill. He can tackle. And those linebackers are are more important than – I think we give credit for sometimes, and we want those those rangy inside linebackers, but a lot of teams have that on the outside, and they're comfortable with a downhill player like Anthony on the inside. I, I, I do like him. Not not a great crop of linebackers overall this year. It seems like most of the top linebackers at the Senior Bowl this year were those those projections, those hybrids, uh, the tweeners, if you will. But just in terms of natural linebackers, it wasn't a great group. Uh, I guess one more guy I, I, I just mentioned quickly in passing, uh, Jeff Luke from Cincinnati. I mean, this guy is what I call a thumper, Shane. Uh, he's 263 pounds on a 5'11 and three-quarter frame, and, and he is powerful. He will hit you. You don't want... You don't want him in coverage. Uh, he, he's not that type of player. But if you're looking for a two-down run thumper, uh, I, I think Jeff Luck is, is pretty intriguing. Um, anybody else you want to hit on at linebacker before we uh, close out with DBs? No, I, I, I think it's pretty good. Um, I think we've covered mostly everyone. The only other guy that I, I liked in terms of the transition linebacker is Lorenzo Malden from Louisville, uh, who's a highly thought of player, and I, I thought he looked good from what little I saw of him making that transition, played some defensive end in college, but he's a player that I'm looking in that top 50 mix for sure. Yeah, arguably a better prospect than his former teammate, Marcus Smith, who snuck into the latter part of round one a year ago. So, uh, really good player. Uh, now, in the, the secondary, uh, once again, lots to talk about. Um, but I, I think the standout or, or the, the storyline that jumps out to me is Kevin White from TCU. And this is another one of those cases, Shane, where physically he doesn't have necessarily what you're looking for. Five uh, nine and three eighths, 180 pounds he checked in at, uh, short arms, small hands. It's real easy to, to to dismiss Kevin White, I think, but then you watch him play and you're like, okay, now I see it because uh, very much a poor man's Jason Verrett, and I know that's the easy comparison because they're both out of Texas Christian, but I think it's an apt comparison, and uh, and I think Kevin White had a whale of a week and played well in the game as well, and uh, um, it's just a matter of how early he's going to go. I think he might have, going into the Senior Bowl, I kind of had him in the fourth round. Now, I mean, who knows? I mean, we saw Verrett go in, in late in round one based on his size. I don't think White's going to go that early, but I, I think he maybe moved himself into that second day. And if he goes any lower than day two, he's going to be a steal for someone based on how he played this week. And based on how he played this season, this this the guy yeah. who matched up against the other Kevin White in West Virginia and shut him down. Uh, we're talking about a first-round wide receiver prospect, maybe the second wide receiver off the board. Killed it. Um, so he's, he's just really good. Like, he's just a really good player. He's a good technical player. He's a smooth athlete. If he was a, a, a two inches taller, then we'd be talking about a surefire first-round pick. 
Yeah, I mean, if he had another two inches, another 20 pounds, he might be the top-rated corner in this draft. Uh, I, I think you could probably make that argument. Uh, another guy I want to talk about is my boy, Quentin Rollins, cornerback out of Miami of Ohio. And wasn't a dominating week for him, and I, I, I'm not necessarily surprised. I mean, keep in mind, this guy's only played one season of college football. So going from that, not only playing only one season of college football, he played that season in the MAC. It's not like he was doing it against the SEC or, or a big-time conference on a consistent basis. So I, I think it would have been unrealistic to expect him to come in and just really have an incredible week. Um, you had to uh, imagine there was going to be quite a bit of adjustment there for him. But I think he flashed enough to the point where, I tell you what, Shane, I I think he's got a chance to go late in the first round. You know I've been raving about him since the very first time I saw him. And the the one question mark that he didn't answer was the long speed. He had some trouble in the one-on-ones running down the field with the the super speedy corners. But even in a worst-case scenario, if you have to move him to safety, I think he could absolutely do it. I think he could be a rangy, playmaking free safety. And he's certainly got the physicality. He likes to throw his body around. He's not afraid to hit. He's not a a finesse basketball player by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, I'm I'm still all on board on Quentin Rollins. I have him going in as my number three senior cornerback. Uh, and and I, I really believe once you get past Trey Waynes from Michigan State and P.J. Williams from Florida State, I think you can make as strong a case for Rollins as just about anybody else, especially considering the upside. He's already a really good player, and, and he's going to be a much better player three years from now. So uh, I, I think I think he's a top 50 value, and, and like I said, he's in my top 32 overall, and I wouldn't be surprised if he wound up a first-round pick when all is said and done. One of my, I'm not even one of my favorite players. My favorite player in the 2015 NFL draft. <laughs> and if you, if you didn't know about him, you sure found out about him during the game when he almost had one interception and then picked off another pass. He, he, has, he, he has the vertical elite ability to get up um, and man I mean that to me he has a full package like he's what you want he is what could become a dominant corner so late first with, with a player that's played college, organized college ball one year it would be really tough for me to pull that trigger and feel confident um, but I couldn't follow the team for taking the chance. I think second day, early second day now is, is in that wheelhouse and probably where he's going to go. But he, he could be in the top five cornerbacks off the board. Would not, would not be surprising at all. Well, and another guy who really jumped out at me was Ladarius Gunter out of Miami. Uh, and, and last year, one of the big storylines was how in vogue big cornerbacks were. And, and we're not hearing that as much this time around, but I still think there's a lot of teams out there looking for those tall, rangy cornerbacks. And Gunter came in at six one and three ace, two hundred pounds. He's got those long arms. Uh, I was really impressed with Gunter, and uh, I think he made himself a lot of money in Mobile. Maybe pound for pound, made as much money as any defensive back at the Senior Bowl this year. Uh, and 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 there's just so much uncertainty at the cornerback position. It seems like all the top guys especially after the top two, have flaws or question marks. So um, I wouldn't even be surprised to start getting into that uh, the, the latter part of day two. I think Gunter's going to start to enter the conversation. I think Gunter made a lot of money. He, uh, yes, he was very good, very impressive, jammed, and was very strong. And you know what? What he did that often a lot of these big corners, I think we've seen a lot of guys just come in, be way too stiff in the senior bowl, and get beat. I didn't feel like he did that um, from, from what I was able to, to watch of him. He seemed like he could turn and run pretty well. If you find a big corner that can do that, it's very rare. 
Yeah, um, an- another big guy that I think we should touch on is Josh Shaw from USC, who also played in the East-West Shrine game. I specifically didn't mention him when we we're in that portion because uh, I figured we'd get into him now. And uh, up and down, Shane. Um, and and I, I, the lot of question mark is he going to be a corner? Is he going to be a safety? Based on what I saw in the practices, the one-on-ones, I'm leaning a little more towards safety now. Uh, I just don't know that he has the long speed. If he's going to be a corner, I think he's going to have to play in more of a zone scheme where he can face the action. Uh, I, I just don't think he can turn and run downfield with elite wide receivers at the next level. But if you have him in the zone and he can face the action, I, I think he, he can be effective in that regard. So it might just be a case of, of the type of scheme each team team runs might evaluate him differently. And, and of course, one of the big things for Josh Shaw is going to be the off-the-field the interviews, how he performed uh, in, in terms of uh, answering question marks about the, the incident from early in the year where he lied about how he injured his ankles. He, he made himself out to be a hero and claimed he, he, he jumped off a balcony to save a relative from drowning. Well, as it turns out, none of that happened and was suspended for the majority of his senior season because of that and also because he was still hurt from the incident. But uh, Josh Shaw, I thought he was up and down. Uh, what are your thoughts, Shane? Do you think corner safety I, – I, I guess um, – I'm not I'm not convinced either way yet, but I guess I'd be leaning towards safety gun to my head or a zone corner. I I yeah I like him as a zone corner. I think that would be if he could find a way to play in like a cover two system. They're kind of going by the wayside, but uh, maybe a team like like Tampa, uh, someone like that drafts him where he can use his physicality. He just has to get better at the tracking the ball, at being able to identify when to turn around and when to really be able to feel the presence of the football and the receiver at the same time. It always feels like he can do one or the other, but he can't do both at the same time. But he's athletic. Uh, he can jump. And he seemed to always be in the hip pocket during the game of the receiver, for, for better or for worse. He was he was there, so there's a reason why he got bumped up. And the other corner that impressed me, another guy on the smaller end, was Steven Nelson from Oregon State, 5'10", 199 pounds. Probably going to be a nickel corner at the next level, but he's, he's another one who's just so technically sound, uh, very fluid hips, and, and he can turn and go with a smaller receiver down the field or over the middle. He, he seemed to be all over the the place um, in the game and in the practices and always on, rarely gave up a big catch. So he was someone that I was impressed with, and I definitely need to move up. Well, in the final defensive back, I'd mention it would be uh, another player that I've been high on, Demarius Randall from Arizona State. Uh, I thought he was underrated going in. I thought he uh, he more than held his own. I think he made a positive impression. And uh, one of my favorite safeties in this class. And that's another position where, especially at the top, it's, it's not a real strong group. So uh, I think Demarius Randall might go a little earlier than most expect. So uh, keep, keep, uh, keep uh, an eye on him. Uh, and then finally, just quickly, we'll touch on the specialist. And I guess one specialist in particular I wanted to hit on was Tom Obarski out of Concordia, Minnesota, the kicker, uh, a, a Minnesota guy like myself, uh, Shane. And uh, I had him as my number two kicker going into the week, so I was already really high on him. And, and I know he missed a field goal during the game, but he also hit a, a 49-yarder. He was routinely hitting 50-plus yarders 
throughout the week. He's got a career long, I believe, a 59. So uh, I really like Tom Obarski. I think he's got a chance to be drafted late. Uh, not only does he have the ability to, to make an impact as the field goal kicker, but he can, he's a pretty good kickoff guy as well. Um, so Tom Obarski, I think this was kind of his coming out party. I don't think he was uh, necessarily a household name, and it probably even diehard draft Knicks weren't really familiar with him. But uh, I think coming out of the Senior Bowl, I think he's clearly one of the top kicking prospects in this draft. And I, I think you could make a case for him being the number one kicker, honestly, uh, along with Justin Manton from Louisiana Monroe. So uh, I really liked what I saw from Obarski. Uh, but, but like I say, he confirmed what I knew of him going in, but I think he showed everybody else so that, 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 that big leg and that ability to connect from beyond 50. And I have to say, I think a lot of NFL teams need kickers, too. I don't, I don't think there's a wealth of great kickers out there that are booting 50 yarders consistently. So if you can find that guy, uh, well worth a, a late-round draft pick. Absolutely. So so there we just briefly touched on the games, and, and we could have gone three times as long and still not have hit on everybody. So if we did touch on your favorite player, we apologize. Uh, you can always hit us up, though. Uh, you can hit me on Twitter, at Draft Countdown. Shane is at Shane P. Hallam, or you can come on the message boards and, and post a thread, ask questions. We'll answer there, too. Uh, so uh, we apologize in advance if we didn't uh, hit on every player, but uh, we, we would have been here till, for 24 hours, I think, if we'd hit on all, uh, all what, 300-plus players that played in the All-Star Games. But just kind of a brief overview, recap, uh, another really good year of the All-Star Games. And I'm a really big fan of it, Shane. It's one of my favorite parts of the process. I just think it's an invaluable evaluation opportunity. And, and it's, it's kind of a bummer when you see players dropping out. And some of them are justified for injuries. Some of them uh, they, uh, are, are questionable made questionable decisions, but, but overall, I, I think it's such a positive thing, and I'm such a believer in the all-star process. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan, so I've really enjoyed the last couple of weeks here with the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl, the East West Shrine game, and then wrapping up with the Senior Bowl. Uh, it's a shame it's in the rearview mirror already because uh, it's one of my favorite times of the year. And it, uh, but, but it doesn't have to end. Combine's coming up in, in less than a month, and we're going to continue with the analysis. And there's always more players to watch and still a lot more to do. So I'm excited to keep this process rolling. The draft is coming sooner, sooner than you expect it. Absolutely. And, in fact, the 2015 NFL draft is coming in 95 days, 21 hours, 8 minutes, and 23 seconds. Tick-tock. <laughs> 